0: Hello and welcome to the Americano podcast, a special series of discussions about US politics and the Trump presidency, or as we journalists call it, the gift that keeps on giving. I'm Freddie Gray. I'm Deputy Editor of The Spectator. I'm joined today by The Spectator contributor Nicholas Farrell, and we're going to be asking what on earth Steve Bannon is up to. So Nick, today we have published uh, your extraordinary interview with Steve Bannon. Um, it's also available on the Spectator USA, our new exciting website. And uh, it is quite a remarkable piece. Um, He doesn't give many interviews. He does give some interviews, but he doesn't give many interviews. But he did decide to grant one to you. Can you tell us how it came about?
1: Well, yeah, I heard that uh, he was in Italy just before the Italian election was at the beginning of the month. And so I thought, ah, Steve Bannon. And then I knew that he was due to go to Switzerland at some point soon to give a big speech there. And so I decided to try and track him down and I thought well the only contact I've got that might help me is the Breitbart Rome correspondent Tom Williams who is an ex-priest and a professor of theology and I had his email and his phone number actually and I rang him in Rome and he was the middleman who got me in touch with balanced people and the message came back well we probably can't do it in Italy but if you turn up in Switzerland where we're going next week uh, just after the elections uh, I'm sure we will fit you in because you're just our kind of guy
0: right (laughs) never know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing you found out pretty quickly that he was a fan of your book didn't you in fact in the interview he tells you he says um, who else have you ever interviewed who's read your book on Mussolini
1: Yeah, well, I'm not sure I believe he has actually read it. But anyway, (laughs) I think he's probably read summaries of his at least. Well, he claims he has 15,000 books in his library. So I don't know. You know, he he does read, I reckon, a lot. But anyway, no, I don't think it was quite that. I think I mentioned that in my message to Tom Williams, setting out my stall, as it were, I, I mentioned that, yes, I had written a a 500-page biography from Mussolini, which had tried to tell the truth and was therefore massacred by most of the critics in papers like The Guardian, especially, for example, in England. And I also sent him a couple of um, articles I'd done in The Spectator, the most recent one about all the propaganda that's going on in was going on in Italy. It's now completely disappeared, of course, after the elections, but was going on about how Italy is in the grip of fascism and the once again and... Blah, 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 which, of course, it isn't. It's just uh, fake news. Obviously, Tom Williams, at least he read the stuff I sent and pushed my case. I don't think he'd actually read the book, but nevertheless, when I did get to see him, he claimed he'd read the book. Yes, and he was very flattering about it, and he was very interesting
0: about... Well, he had lots of things to say about Mussolini, including, you know, talking about his dress sense and how wonderful that was. What do you you think he thinks of himself as a sort of Mussolini-type figure? I'm not saying he's a fascist, it's different. Uh, You make that quite clear in the piece. But do you think he sees himself as a sort of postmodern Mussolini or a, a populist version of
1: Mussolini. He's certainly a very effective public speaker, which Mussolini, of course, was. And he's also fairly short, like Mussolini. Not quite as well dressed? Well, I wouldn't say he's even scruffier than I am. You are quite scruffy. Did he did he comment on your appearance? Well, at some point he said, I think you should take a shower. <laughs> and I say, what? But I mean, I'm kind of um, a bit like a sort of, well, I, I like to see myself as bohemian. I mean, I was wearing a black velvet jacket during the interview myself, with a flowing blue cravat. Uh, and I, I actually turned up with my um, Stetson Panama hat on my head, and I said, do you mind if I keep my hat on? And he said, not at all, not at all. And so I actually interviewed him wearing my Stetson Panama, and, um, which is a broad brim Panama, right? Uh, you know, in the middle of winter, practically. <laughs> not the sort of hat you should wear in the winter. Anyway, uh, I have a sort of, let's say, a... Six days stubble at least. He's got a bit of a stubble, you know. He's got at least a three day stubble, I would say. Open neck shirt, very very casual. And I wouldn't even say smart casual. say scruffy casual. He did take shower. I said, well, what do you mean? Do, what do I stink? <laughs> but it was only afterwards I realised that there was. He himself was told to take a shower, wasn't he? By Donald Trump, I seem to recall. I didn't recall at the time, but he was. So maybe he was trying to get back at Trump, but. I don't know, take it out on other people as Trump took it out on him. Um, Did you get a sense of what he's trying to achieve in Europe? Yeah, I mean, he's a bit cagey about what he's up to in Europe. There's a lot of talk about him trying, he's starting some kind of think tank. I'm not quite sure whether this think tank is going to be based in America or Europe or both, or even global, because he spent a lot of time in, in the Far East recently. I think he's interested in global populist revolt, as he calls it some think tank with major thinkers to weaponise, another of his favourite words, weaponise the people against the elites. That's one of his things. The other thing is, I think he's trying to start up either with or without Breitbart, which he was the boss of, a kind of European operation. I mean, Breitbart is already in Britain and already in Israel. And in fact, he started both of those up, I seem to recall, when he was at Breitbart. He did, yeah. And there was always talk when he was at Breitbart that they needed to do the same sort of thing in all the major European countries in the language of those countries. But they never did it. And one of the reasons was they couldn't find any journalist who hadn't been brainwashed into, you know, being kind of liberal left and all the rest of it. They they couldn't find free spirits as they would define them. Although, of course, they've had a lot of people queuing up to try and um, talk them into it. Anyway, now he seems to be wanting to start that kind of thing up in Europe, with or without Breitbart, I'm not sure. But either on his own or not, I don't know. But it's a very interesting idea, certainly needed in all these countries, a kind of alternative voice to the centrist liberal left Way of doing things. Mainstream media is often called.
0: He made quite a lot of literary allusions, uh, classical allusions in the interview. I don't mean this rudely, but he's not really someone who wears his learning lightly, is he?
1: No, but on the other hand, well, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm a bit of a learned intellectual in some ways, in certain areas, not many. <laughs> so I, I found it quite impressive, actually, that he was able to quote uh, as he did in the interview, Plutarch. You know, he he said at some point, "I am from a blue collar family." who readed Plutarch, okay, dude. I hope he didn't say readed. Readed, read, whatever. He seems to be able to just sort of name drop authors and classical allusions all the time. At some another point, he said that uh, fascism has got nothing to do with populism. It's got much more to do with the Gracchi brothers. I couldn't understand what he was talking about. He was talking about, because of his accent principally, but also, I suppose, because of my ignorance of ancient Rome, he was talking about Tiberius and Gaius Gracchus, who were, uh, I don't know what the hell they got up to, but somebody will know. He called them the original the original
0: populists.
1: Yeah, well, he cl- yes, he claims them as the original populists. Anyway, you know, and he goes on and on and on like this, quoting people left, right and centre from yeah. all over the place, which I actually find very impressive, personally. But what do you think he achieved with his Swiss lecture? Were the audience enwrapped? Yes, they were, but being Swiss, they weren't very um, emotional, Polite clapping, it was the most emotional they got. But, I mean, it was a sellout, 1,500 people, and the guy who organised it, who I actually know, said they could have actually sold out three times that many tickets. So that's pretty impressive, 1,500 people.
0: Then after you interviewed him, he went to France, and he did a speech for the Front National, where he said, if you're called a racist, wear it as a badge of pride. He certainly seems to think that there's a sort of new, probably harder, let's call it alt-right, it's not an ideal name for it, uh, there's a market for his harder-than-Trumpism Trumpism, Trumpism, I suppose.
1: Yeah, what does he call it, the new right or the alt? The new right, I think he calls it as well. The new right, which which is
0: pretty explicitly nationalist, isn't it?
1: Yeah. The Front National obviously is in a bit of a mess after the defeat, coming so close to winning and then losing, and is having a major rethink, but the Front National calls itself patriotic rather than nationalistic. And, of course, we all shudder at the word nationalist because it, it implies expansionist, violent, invading other countries and introducing totalitarian governments. But actually, patriotism is, in fact, a very positive force.
0: Yes, but he doesn't talk about patriotism. He, he really talks about nationalism, doesn't
1: he? Yes, but on the other hand, he means patriotism, in my view, which is, and let's have a quick definition of it, a desire to defend one's culture, way of life and country. For example, if you take his economic nationalism, which is one of the things where he's defending America's economy from what he sees, what is in effect, unfair competition from, say, China and everywhere else. It's a very powerful argument, of course. I mean, it attacks the sacred cow of free trade head on, but he says he is not in favor of protection, but fair trade, which they all do. I mean, in a way, everyone in Europe regards, for example, let's say, the Front National, Le Pen, as neo-fascist. That's what they say. That's what the mainstream media says. And there he is on stage with them.
0: Yes, Well, but I think he's going further in that he's no longer as he's saying, you know, uh, you can call us fascist if you want, we're not. He's sort of embracing the label. He's, I mean, wouldn't say he's embracing the label of fascism. He certainly doesn't do that. But certainly with the Front National, he was saying, Call us racist if you want. We'll wear it as a badge of pride. He's not saying that they are racist, but he's saying we'll wear your slurs as a badge of pride.
1: Well, exactly. He's playing the victim there, as opposed to the victimizer. But his point would be this: that uh, slurring the the Front National as racist is fake news, and that he has a point. You know, are they racist? Actually, come on, when we get down to it. What are they racist? Yes, the Front National. Uh, I, I mean,
0: no, Marine Le Pen goes to great lengths to not be explicitly racist. Well, no.
1: certainly she goes to great, great lengths not to be anti-Semitic. But then, okay, well, what about all the Muslims in France? Is she Islamophobic, for example? Well, that's, In a, all that's these a very things, I mean question. Yeah, well, of course they are, but this is what he's playing on all this, you know. He's basically saying, look, if we want to defend our countries, we've got to at least control massive immigration and insist that immigrants integrate.
0: But the mainstream press, if you want to call them mainstream media, are saying of Bannon's tour of Europe... Well, of course, of spect- Europe, is wait, it, we're,
1: spectator mainstream media?
0: We're, we're above all things. You know. <laughs> but, but they are saying that of Bannon's trip to Europe, that he's now a toxic product in America. He's now going to Europe to try and sort of sell his brand there. But the other interpretation of it is that he's achieved things in America and he's now actually bringing or helping to generate the populist movements in Europe. You'd lean towards the second.
1: You see, the problem is I don't really know enough about America to say for sure. But I mean, let's face it, I mean, people regard him as a major reason why Trump won the election. <laughs> And as he himself, I mean, OK, since then, he's been sacked as chief of staff and also either sacked or left Breitbart. And of course, the uh, let's say the liberal media, at least, um, is cock a hoop, you know, at his failure in that sense. But I mean, in a way, he achieved what he set out to achieve, which was to weaponize fly over America if we want and get Trump in the White House so you know you could say that well he's done what he had to do i mean it's what i instinctively say but you know i don't know really about america he's he's done what he did in america he's done it he said to me he hated every day in the white house he's not a staffer well i suppose he would say that anyway after being sacked but and then he's come to europe to try and do a similar thing in europe but of course europe is a bit different to america with it's not a united states of europe and it's it's a load of different countries who speak different languages but there's there's been a slight suspicion
0: with him that although he sounds like a and he he seems to be a far breathing populist, business and money is the bottom line for him i mean he he used to work for Goldman Sachs and he seems to like billionaires quite a lot i mean do you think perhaps the, the whole sort of thing is a front for what is actually the real new media market, which is this sort of quite hardline conservatism online.
1: Well, yes, I mean, well, that's what we were saying earlier, you know, I was saying earlier that he's he's here to start all these online mags like Breitbart in Europe, in, in the com- in the languages of the various countries of Europe. I mean, you know, potentially there's a huge amount of money there. And I'm sure, yes, of course he's thinking, I'm, well, I, you know, how do I really know for sure? But I mean, the impression one gets is obviously that he is very keen on money. Yes, I mean, in Switzerland, where I was, which is, let's face it, the beating pulse of, of the world of banking. I mean, his hotel was right in the middle of the banking centre of Zurich, you know, and they were queuing up to see him, you know, queuing up to see Steve Bannon, the prophet, the prophet Steve. So, yeah, I'm sure money's got a hell of a lot to do with it, one way or another
0: thank you very much for listening just a reminder that you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and you can also subscribe to the magazine through our special podcast offer which is on www.spectators.co.uk forward slash pod offer and we'll even throw in a spectator moleskin notebook for people who take up that offer